and we're beginning um, this short two-week sermon series that we're entitled New Year, Real Me. Um, earlier on this week, um, my wife and I were woken up in the middle of the night by our four-month-old uh, baby Jessica. That's par for the course um, at this time. Uh, Joe went to feed her. I was feeling a little bit groggy, um, and so I asked Joe to pass me the old best pastels. Um, it's very dark. Can't really see what's going on. She passed me um, the packet. I take it. I'm still half asleep. I thought, oh, they, they've changed the packaging on this. Um, it's sort of like a packet for each one rather than all the pastels being together. By the way, the old best pastels are just green lozenges for, uh, for sore throats. And I say to Joe, oh, look, they've changed the package on this. It's 3.30, and Joe's like, oh, shut up, just take it and go. So I, I, I put the lozenge in my mouth, or what I thought was a lozenge, and, and realize I've made a terrible mistake. It tastes disgusting. I start, like, spitting it out. I turn the light on. It's not the green old best pastels. It's the white anusol packet, which is a suppository for hemorrhoids. So we're thinking today about how to move on from our mistakes. Um, and, you know, it's the start of a new year. Uh, people tend to make New Year's resolutions. Uh, gym memberships spike. Uh, diets are started. Um, but it can be really hard, actually, to move on. It can be really hard to keep New Year's resolutions to bring real lasting change to our lives. If the surveys are to believe, then 80% of people that start a New Year's resolution will have given up on it by the second week of February. And so we thought it would be a good idea for us, you know, start of a new year, to take a look at this from a Christian perspective and to see the difference that Jesus Christ makes. So this week, looking at this question, how do I move on from my mistakes? Next week, we're thinking, how do I bring true, lasting change to my life? Now, before we look at this Bible passage from Luke 15, I thought it might be helpful to consider two common responses to this question, how to move on from mistakes. Uh, responses that we see in our own heart, responses we see at culture at large. Andy helped us to think about a little bit in terms of denial and despair. Because one response is often to downplay our mistakes so we can quickly move on from them. We say things like, you know, everyone makes mistakes. You know, we're only human. It's no big deal. Mistakes help us to grow, to learn. Mistakes don't define you, they refine you. So forget about them. Don't beat yourself, just move on from them. Now, I don't know about you, but on one hand, I find that incredibly liberating and actually quite good news. I remember a church weekend away I was on ages ago, and uh, the speaker there had slightly misread the, the people he was speaking to, and so the congregations didn't really land, uh, sorry, the applications didn't really land. And I was the one tasked on giving um, feedback to the speaker. And he was very humble about it. He received the, the feedback. And then he said something which has stood with me ever since. He said, oh, well, live and learn. And it blew me away because as a preacher myself, back then, if I made a mistake like that, I would beat myself up for weeks. I would castigate my, oh, how did you misread the, the church? I would, I would catastrophize. I'm a terrible preacher. You know, woe is me. And it was very transformative for me to hear and see this person respond in this really constructive way. Okay, live and learn. The problem, of course, with downplaying our mistakes and being too quick to move on from them is what if these mistakes are really serious and you've actually caused considerable pain and harm to others and you feel weighed down by the guilt and the shame and you know that simply learning from the mistake, it's not going to be good enough. There needs to be more. Reconciliation, restoration. 
How do you move on from that guilt and shame? And that leads to a second common response we see in our own heart, a culture at large, which is you can't move on. People won't let you move on. You're cancelled. And so we have Ollie Robinson. Do you hear about this? The 27-year-old English cricketer. He's fined and banned from test cricket for eight matches after historic tweets surface online, which he wrote when he was 19 years old. Tweets he has apologized for, fully regrets, says were inexcusable, but eight years later and still people are calling for him never to play for England again. J.K. Rowling, she's been at the center of numerous cancel culture storms this past year for her refusal to deny the reality of biological sex. The most recent being, did you see the Harry Potter 20th anniversary on January the 1st? And all they had was archive material of her, whilst they invited all the other stars to be there in person. You're cancelled. That's it. You can't move on. Even the smallest mistake or perceived mistake. And people make it very hard for you to move on from it. And so we've got denial on the one hand. We've got despair on the other. Neither response is satisfactory. Is there a better way for you and I to move on from our mistakes at the start of a new year? Well, come with me now to this passage. It's on page 1048. If you're following along in the church Bibles, I'd love you to follow along uh, in, on your phones. Um, a very famous passage from the Bible. It's known as the parable of the prodigal son, where we meet someone who makes a terrible mistake. But we also meet someone, the God of the Bible, who allows anyone to move on from their mistakes in the most amazing of ways. Now, for those unfamiliar with the story, let me give a brief summary. I'm just going to focus in on the younger son. And if you glance down to verse 12, we see the younger son asks his father for the share of the estate, which in the Middle Eastern culture of the time was a huge mistake to make, a huge insult to his father. He's basically saying to his dad, I want your money, but I don't want you. I wish you were dead. Give me the inheritance now. You can imagine how that comes across. But by verse 13, having been given the money, he squanders it all, we're told, in wild living. By verse 15, notice he's all alone. By verse 16, he's living in a pigsty. He's dying of hunger. And look at the end of verse 16. We are told no one gave him anything. Mistake after mistake after mistake. How is this younger son going to move on from all these mistakes? Verse 17, he comes to his senses. Verses 18 and 19, he prepares an apology for his father. Verse 20, he goes back to his father. But while he is still a long way off, the father sees him is filled with compassion for him, runs to him, embraces him, kisses him. The son can't even finish his apology. Bring him the best robe, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. My son is back. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Forgiveness, restoration. Who would not want a father like this? No matter the mistakes you make, no matter how serious they are, a father who will always welcome you back, a father who recognizes the seriousness of what you've done, but can forgive you, love you, restore you. 
What a father that would be. And wonderfully, Jesus is saying, you can have a father like this because this is a parable. Because the younger son is a picture of you and me, and the father is a picture of God. And Jesus is saying, you really can move on like this younger son. So, how do you and I move on from our mistakes? Two things, two steps. First, don't deny them, repent of them. That's the first step for moving on from our mistakes. Don't deny them, repent of them. Look at verse 18. I will set out and go back to my father. That is the language of repentance, going back, turning around, recognizing your mistake, admitting it, fessing up. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He confesses his guilt. I have done wrong, Father. I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you, and guilt needs forgiveness. He also confesses his shame. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I feel so bad for what I've done for you. And and shame needs that relational reconnection. Notice just how straightforward the younger son is about his sinful mistakes. There is no downplaying them. There is no making excuses for them. There is no blame shifting it. Well, if you weren't just such a bad father. Well, if you weren't so boring in the countryside. Hey, well, look, I'm still alive. It's not that bad. There's none of this. He takes full responsibility for his actions. It's just straightforward. He doesn't simply learn from his mistakes. He takes full responsibility for them, goes back to his father, seeks his forgiveness, and seeks restoration with him. And so if you and I want to move on from our sinful mistakes of 2021, all our moral failures, Jesus is saying the first step is to come back to God, the one to whom all sin and all moral failure is an offense. Jesus says, come back to him, seek his forgiveness, confess your guilt and shame, seek restoration with him. Always the first step. And I'm conscious that as I say that, the problem is that's not easy to do for any of us. As Elton John once sang, sorry seems to be the hardest word. You and I, we take great pride in our moral performance. We question whether we've actually done anything wrong. We twist the narrative to make ourselves out better than we really are. We put on masks to hide our true selves. We find it much easier, much easier to downplay our mistakes, make excuses for them, blame circumstances for them, rather than simply fess up and take responsibility for them. But whenever we live like that, you know what it's like to live like that. We can never truly move on. The guilt and shame won't let us. Doesn't matter how much we suppress it, it's still there. Eating away at us, weighing us down, consuming our thinking. We lose sleep, we worry, we struggle to forgive ourselves. We act defensive and distant. We feel afraid of trying again. No matter how hard we try to move on, cover it all up, we can't. And Jesus says, come, come back, come back to God. Come back to the one person who can truly deal 
with all your guilt and shame. God is not looking for perfection, but he is looking for repentance. Just to be clear, we are talking here about sinful mistakes, moral failures, any thought, desire, word, action that goes against God's will revealed in Scripture. The reason I mention that is there is such thing as false guilt, false shame, and we can spend a lot of time worrying about things and being weighed by things that we don't need to be. J.K. Rowling has been cancelled, shamed in many people's eyes, but in God's eyes, she's simply upholding the reality of biological sex, which God himself brought into being when he said male and female, he created them. She has nothing to feel guilty or ashamed about with that. My wife Jo does not need to ask for forgiveness when she accidentally passes me the anal stud tablets rather than the old best tablets. It was an honest mistake. It was pitch dark. We were half asleep. She should say sorry when she's rolling around on the floor in laughter about it afterwards. Almost drops Jessica. But that's another story. Sometimes you will speak truth into a person's life to help them see a blind spot out of love for their good. And they actually might be prickly, sensitive, start questioning your motives, see how upset you've made them feel, and perhaps you're tempted to feel guilty about for raising it. Perhaps you feel a bit shameful about it. But their reaction reveals more about them than about you. And if you're doing it out of love, prayerfully, graciously, you don't need to carry any false guilt anymore or any false shame, and you can move on immediately from it. Now, what we're talking about here is moving on from sinful mistakes, real wrong. And the first step is always to repent. Well, if that's the first step, to repent, the second is to receive. Don't despair, but receive the loving, forgiving welcome of God. How's he going to respond? If we repent, how's he going to respond if we come back to him, if we say sorry? I wonder what you make of verse 20. But while the younger son was still a long way off, his father saw him and what? Angrily sort of tapping his foot. (laughs) This better be good. This better be good. Doesn't say that, does it? While the younger son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. I find this amazing. If one of my children treated me like this, I'd be tempted to give them a good telling off, ground them for a month, think to myself, that is the last time I give them any money again. Not this father. He feels deep pity deep concern for his wayward son. That word compassion literally means suffer with, come with, passion, suffer. He suffers with his son. He feels the pain of what he has done to himself. He moves out towards him with this compassion. He's filled with it. And he runs to his son. Have you ever seen the queen run? No, right? Undignified. Back then, very undignified to run. The father does not care about the social customs of the day. He is just delighted to see his son on the way back to him. He throws his arms around him. He kisses him. The son must have stunk of pigsty and swine, and that back then would have made him richly unclean. Does the father care? No. 
I just get to hold my son in my arms again, and he's come back to me. He kisses him, a sign of forgiveness. The son doesn't even have time to finish off his prepared speech. He's halfway through it. I'm not worthy anymore to be called your son. Quick, get the best robe and put it on him. Give him a ring. Give him sandals on his feet. My son is back. All of them, public recognition that he welcomes him back, that his son has been found. He was dead. He's alive. He's lost, but he's let's have a feast and celebrate. And that is a picture of how God feels for every one of you as we turn back to him, seek his forgiveness, seek restoration with him. And so here's the second step to moving on from our mistakes. Receive the loving, forgiving welcome of God. You just have to receive it. Let him embrace you. Let him kiss you. Let him forgive you. Let him love you. Let him welcome you back. God is not there, tapping his foot, hand on hip, mumbling to himself, this better be good, this better be good. How many of us think of God just waiting there to get us, ground us, that's the last time I give them anything good. God is filled with compassion for you, even in your sin. And he runs to us, and he throws his arms around us, and he forgives us, and he welcomes us back, and we need never feel guilty or ashamed again. Now look, perhaps it's strange for you to think of God like this, running, embracing, kissing. Perhaps it's different to what you've been taught about God previously. Perhaps you've never experienced this sort of love and compassion and forgiveness yourself in life, and you think to yourself, well, how can it be true of God? I hope you can see the way Jesus describes his Father here. And not just here, we see this throughout the Bible. Jacob was a cheater, David had an affair, Noah got drunk, Peter had a temper, Sarah was impatient, Jonah ran from God, but all of them were able to move on from their mistakes as they received the loving, forgiving welcome of God, and you can receive it too. It is true, it is real. It's available for you right now. Now, of course, we, we may still need to live with some of the consequences of our past mistakes. If you break the law, you can end up in prison. If you're unfaithful to your spouse, the marriage might be over. If you say what's deemed the wrong thing on Twitter, you may be cancelled. But you will never be cancelled by God. If you come back to him in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, God will forgive you, welcome you, embrace you, and never let you go. But you say, I just feel so much shame over what I did. But you say, I know God forgives me, I just can't forgive myself. Some gifts can be really hard to receive. I don't know if you've ever been given an unexpected gift by someone and your reaction is, oh my goodness, I I, I can't, I can't accept that. That's too much, that's too generous. (laughs) And there's all sort of heart motives going on there. 
maybe feeling you don't deserve it, maybe a fear of intimacy, maybe a fear of strings attached, maybe a fear of them being in debt to the other person, fear of intimacy, all sorts of, and maybe you think the similar way with God. No strings attached with God. No need to pay him back. It is not selfish to receive from God. All good things come from him. He's the one person who will never let you down. You can be intimate with him. And no, you don't deserve it. That's the point. It's a free, gracious gift. And you just have to receive him. And let him welcome you back. If you want to know, just if you want to know concretely just how much compassion God feels towards you, just how much he suffers with you, even in your sin, your deepest, darkest sin, look at the cross and see Jesus Christ take upon himself all your sin. All the guilt of it, he has borne it. All the shame of it, he has endured it. Stripped naked, humiliated for you, for all time. So you need never feel guilty or shame for your sin again. Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He's alive today. His arms are outstretched towards you right now. And if you do know God forgives you, then can you feel that embrace? Can you feel that kiss? I love you. Can you feel the robe of righteousness, his right around you? Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. If God forgives you, you really can forgive yourself. You can move on. Other people might not let you move on. Your own feelings at times might not let you move on, but God does let you move on from all your past mistakes, all your moral failures, no matter how dark they are. So don't deny them. Let's repent of them. And don't despair of them, but receive the loving, forgiving Welcome of God. Let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this incredible parable. Not just its literary beauty, and what, but the fact that it gives us a picture of you and just how compassionate you are and forgiving you are and loving you are. You see sin in all its darkness. You know the cost it is to forgive it. Jesus dies for us. He bears it in our place. But it means there is a way back with you. There is a fresh start. We can turn over a new leaf. So please, would your spirit move us to come back to you now, to confess our sin, to not deny it, repent of it, not despair, but receive your loving, forgiving welcome now. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.